Thank you for watching this online message from Riverstone Church. We hope that this content encourages you and helps you further develop your relationship with Jesus Christ. For more information, visit riverstonechurch.net. There you can learn more about us, view additional messages, submit your prayer needs, and even give online. Thank you for watching, and may the Lord richly bless you. Stand with me. We are going to read again the passage that we read last week. Uh, I think we can... Uh, I thought about, well, since we read it last week, it was the same text, do we read it again? I thought the Word of God needs to be read in the house of God, and it is a little lengthy, but we're going to read through it once again uh, and pull some principles. If you were not here last week, would encourage you, uh, I don't normally do that, but I would encourage you to go back and get the message uh, from last week as an introduction to uh, this week's uh, message as we look at this passage in Mark chapter 4, starting at verse 35, we're going to read all the way through uh, verse 20, uh, Mark 4, starting at verse 35, and we will read all the way through uh, verse 20. And again, this is the second part of a two-part series of a foundation of Riverstone Church uh, and a focus on living joyfully before the Lord. Starting at verse 35 of chapter 4, on that day when evening came, Jesus said to them, to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd, they took him along with them in the boat, just as he was, and other boats were with them. And there arose a fierce gale of wind, and the waves were breaking over the boat so much that the boat was already filling up. Jesus himself was in the storm, asleep on the cushion, and they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he got up and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Hush, be still. And the wind died down and became perfectly calm. And he said to them, Why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? And they became very much afraid and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Chapter 5 and verse 1. They came to the other side of the sea, into the country of the Gerasenes. When he got out of the boat, immediately a man from the tombs with an unclean spirit met him. And he had his dwelling among the tombs, and no one was able to bind him anymore, even with a chain, because he had often been bound with shackles and chains. And the chains had been torn apart by him, and the shackles broken in pieces. And no one was strong enough to subdue him. Constantly, night and day, he was screaming among the tombs and in the mountains and gashing himself with stones. Seeing Jesus from a distance, he ran up and bowed down before him and shouting with a loud voice, he said, what business do we have with each other, Jesus, son of the most high God? I implore you by God, do not torment me. For he had been saying to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And he was asking him, what is your name? And he, the demon, said to Jesus, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he began to implore him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now there was a large herd of swine feeding nearby on the mountain. And the demons implored him, saying, Send us into the swine so that we may enter them. And Jesus gave them permission. And coming out, the unclean spirits entered the swine. And the herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea, about 2,000 of them, and they were drowned in the sea. The herdsmen ran away and reported in the city and in the country, and the people came to see what it was that had happened. They came to Jesus and observed the man who had been demon-possessed sitting down, clothed and in his right mind, the very man who had had the legion. And they became frightened, and those he had seen it described to them how it had happened that the demon-possessed man and all 
and all about the swine. And they began to implore him, to implore Jesus to leave their region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed was imploring him that he might accompany him. And Jesus did not let him, but Jesus said to him, Go home to your people and report to them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in Decapolis what great things Jesus had done for him. And everyone was amazed. Heavenly Father, thank you for the public reading of Scripture. We pray, Lord, now that by your Spirit you would do the work that only you can do. Once again, Lord, we ask to you that you would break to us the bread of life, uh, giving to each one according to our need, Lord, uh, that I would do nothing to hinder the work of the Holy Spirit here through the preaching of the gospel. And you would help me, Lord. Help me, Lord, I pray. We thank you for these things. We trust you, Jesus, in these moments ahead. You will guide us in the scriptures. In your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So I'm going to review just a little bit, which is, again, uh, it would be good if you were not able to be here last week that you go back uh, to pick up the first part of the message so that uh, it, it kind of pulls together and makes sense to you. But this particular story is found in two other places in the Gospels, uh, Matthew 8, 28 through 34, and Luke uh, 8, 26 and 39 uh, echo this same story with the demon-possessed man that is in uh, Mark chapter 5. Mark gives the most uh, expansive version of uh, the story. Again, we talked about last week why uh, that is, and I won't go back into that. But this story is important to us as we think about what it means to uh, live joyfully, because to live joyfully, we must be free. We must be loosed from whatever bondage or whatever addiction that there may be in our life, but not just us personally, but the places where we are, the places where we live uh, also need to be set free from the uh, bondage of the enemy over certain territories or certain areas. And you may say, that sounds kind of weird. You know, I I, kind of go on what I can see and what I can touch and what I can feel, the five senses. Those are sort of the things that uh, I believe in and I can focus on. But I want to tell you that the demonic world is very real. The spirit world is very real and it's very uh, active. And as believers, we have to be aware of that, again, so that we can take up our authority in, in Christ. And This is very specific, I believe, to us uh, in this church in this city, because I believe that God wants to show us how to focus our attention, to focus our prayers, how to take up specific spiritual weapons in order to pray and focus our attention in our city to see some things, uh, see some people loose, to see some uh, people who are in bondage set free and to see our city uh, become free from what I believe may be uh, a a territorial demonic uh, presence over the land. And we're going to talk about that. And you may say, that's kind of odd in my mind. I'm going to tune this out. I'm going to pray that you don't tune it out. I'm going to pray that you don't tune out today, but that you would uh, hear what I believe the Lord would speak to us today. 
To live joyfully, we must be a growing disciple who is walking in the power of the Spirit. You can't walk in the power of the Spirit if we are bound up in the things of the enemy. Whether it's oppression or possession, uh, talking about both types, we'll talk about that a little more. We cannot be free and living joyfully if we are not loosed from the attack, from the oppression, from uh, the, uh, the enemy who seeks at every turn to destroy you. You know, in the news today, uh, there's a lot of talk about, you know, Russia and war in Ukraine and what the rest of the world is uh, going to do about there being this battle that's going to take place over a piece of geography. And when we look at that, we all can say, yeah, it's probably wrong that Russia's doing what it's going to do. And we can kind of argue the points because it's happening before our very eyes. But we have to pray that God helps us to open our spiritual eyes and to see what is happening spiritually, because a battle that is no less deadly is happening over our souls. You're not outside of the battle. You're not kind of off to the side and the battle's taking place over here and you're just kind of a bystander. Satan doesn't care who you are. He doesn't care your background. He doesn't care how much you know, how much uh, resources you have. He wants to destroy you. That's what he wants. He wants to destroy you. That's his plan. That's his purpose. That's his desire. And what Jesus has come to do is to rescue, rescue, rescue us. And the very first thing that Satan did in the Garden of Eden is he tried to get people to question the word of the Lord. Did God really say? And so when we look at Scripture, he really hasn't changed his tactics. So the problem that we have in our day is many people say, oh, I don't believe in that stuff. When you die, you know, you're going to go to a good place. I was a good person. I've done good things. I don't believe in that other stuff. And so you kind of, you're, you're, you're being captured by the enemy. Because the Word of God says that there is a spiritual realm that is very active. And the enemy comes to you and says, God didn't really say that stuff. But I think we have to reckon with it. And this is why I think it's important for us to think about. Growing joyfully in the Lord means recognizing our place in Christ, understanding how we are to fight and overcome the darkness so that we can live in freedom and others can live in freedom as well. As I mentioned last week, and the, the, if you, again, if you weren't here, the reason that these two stories are connected is because in Mark chapter 4 and verse 35, the calming of the winds, the same language that is used when it says Jesus rebuked the wind and he says that it, hush, be still, is the same language that Jesus has used two previous times already in the gospel of Mark to rebuke demonic forces. So what 
the language of scripture is telling us is that this storm that has come upon the Sea of Galilee is not simply a natural storm that has come along like any other storm, like a snowstorm that's sort of coming on and we kind of see it coming, that this storm was different in origin and Jesus dealt with it differently as well. He rebuked it in the same way that he had rebuked demons previously in Mark 1 and 25 and chapter 3 and verse 12. In fact, the same Hebrew word that is used there in terms of rebuking the storm is the same word that is consistently used to indicate uh, a Jewish exorcism. So this storm is not a natural storm. Uh, That's simply a consequence of weather. It is a storm that is characterized as one of demonic origin. Jesus is heading from a majority Jewish population across the Sea of Galilee to the Decapolis region. And this region was, uh, was a place of 10 cities. Uh, it was the area that was originally given to the half-tribe of Manasseh, but had a majority, by this time, a majority Gentile population, and thus was uh, steeped in pagan worship. And so Jesus is heading over to that region. And what I believe is happening is the demonic forces are stirring up a storm in order to prevent Jesus from getting over to the other side. There's a purpose Jesus wants to go over to the other side. Sometimes we think, well, we may read the story and we may not know some of the background of what has gone on there. And we think Jesus just went over to heal that one man and then came back to the other side. I think, well, fine, there's a broader Uh, story that is there. As the storm and the winds uh, were brewing, Jesus was not concerned. Uh, It's kind of odd, as I said last week, that he just kind of kept sleeping. Uh, The the side of the boat would have been maybe about that high, uh, and the boat probably 16 to 18 feet long fitting uh, could have fit up to about 16 people. This had Jesus and the 12 with him. So if the winds and the water are coming in, Jesus is asleep on a mat. Jesus is obviously getting wet here, but still not waking up. Again, I believe that is a clue to what type of storm this was. This was not a natural phenomena that was coming on, but Jesus is not concerned about the demonic forces because he has rulership over all that. He commands at will. The boat arrives on the other side and there's immediate response to Jesus' arrival by uh, the man who was demon possessed. They were not, no, they were not caught off guard by his presence. Oh, Jesus is here. They knew he was coming. The man, the scripture says, was from the tombs, dwelling among the tombs. As I said last week, that's the pathway of sin. It puts you in the midst of dead things. You read the scriptures and you see what the Lord calls us to as people, lives of uh, righteousness, lives of grace, lives of peace, lives of living holy before the Lord. That's what God desires for us. And if we're not living in those desires, we're going after the lust of the flesh and the desires of the flesh. Essentially, we're in the same place as this man. We're living among dead things. In our culture, if we went up on uh, Monticello Mountain and you walked across from uh, Mickey Tavern, you'd see what I think is one of the uh, more beautiful cemeteries in the area. 
I uh, had one, at one time told Nicole, if I die, that's where I'd like to be buried because when the Lord calls me out, I want to have a good view of the city as I'm coming out of the, uh, the grave. But uh, we've really tried to make some cemeteries look nice. In this day, in this culture, they would have been caves with what are called ossuaries inside uh, the caves, boxes of bones of people. Uh, living in the caves among uh, dead things. It says that no one could bind him. We read that in this passage. Matthew tells us that no one could pass by that way. Uh, Again, this demonic force had claimed territory in which there could be nothing that was happening in this territory except what was allowed by the demonic forces. Demonic power has to be discerned biblically through the power of the spirit. Spirit, I do not believe that a demon is behind every storm. And I don't believe that a demon is immediately behind every addiction. Nonetheless, there are gateways to demonic activity that open doors for intense oppression and possession. So we have to be careful of the doors that we allow into our life that open gateways for the enemy to get a foothold. The occult is one of the chief and primary gateways. Essentially, the occult is the worship of demons. Pagan practices. There are things in Scripture, when we read through the Scriptures, I've made this comment several weeks ago. The reason God calls certain things sin is not just because God says, oh, I don't like this, I don't like that, I don't like that, but I do like this, and I like this, and I like this. And these things are sin, and these things are righteousness. God didn't ordain things that way. The reason he tells us certain things are sin is because he realizes the the, uh, intent of the enemy and he doesn't want us to open a foothold in our life for the enemy to come in and to begin to destroy us. That's That's what sin is. God loves you so much. He doesn't want the enemy to get a foothold in your life. So he says, avoid these practices because that's what Satan uses to get a foothold. So it said, I do not believe uh, that a true believer in the Lord Jesus Christ can be possessed. But I do believe there can be intense oppression of a believer. There can be intense oppression. I do believe there are people who walk among us who are possessed. And I believe that we have to have discernment to understand, discernment to know. For believers, I believe that not dealing with demonic activity is an abdication of our responsibility of believers. But again, it takes wisdom and discernment. For us to experience joy, for our city to experience joy, we have to deal with the strongholds that exist. 1 Corinthians 10 and 4 says, For the weapons of our warfare are not fleshly, but powerful through God for the tearing down of strongholds. 
Jesus dealt with the strongholds both in the individual man and also in the region. Now, historical perspective of the Decapolis region or the Gerasenes. There's there's several words used in Scripture for this exact place. Decapolis, Gerasenes, Gergesenes, Gardera, several uh, words that are used uh, about this very specific area. As I mentioned earlier, it was originally allocated by covenant promise by God to the half-tribe of Manasseh way back in the Old Testament. In 167 BC, Antiochus Epiphanes sacrificed a pig on the temple altar to the pagan god Zeus. It set off a revolt of the Jews that lasted about 100 years. In 63 BC, Pompey overtook Judea for Rome, and the Decapolis region was happy for what had happened because, again, at that point, it was mainly Gentiles that existed in the Decapolis region. So get the picture. We're going in a direction here. Jesus was on the other side of the Sea of Galilee, mainly a Jewish region. He gets in the boat. He goes to the other side, to the Decapolis region, which at this time in history was mainly a Gentile, uh, a place of Gentiles, or there were Jews there. He finds a man in whom he asks the name of the demonic force, and it says, we are legion, which would have been, uh, in a a Roman cohort, would have been about 5,600 individuals. So let's think, okay, 5,600 demons possessing this man. This tells us a few things. One, that more than one demon can possess an individual. And Jesus cast out the demon from the man and he cast it into the pigs. This demon had territorial claim over that land or took territorial claim over that land. But God had promised that land to his covenant people. So if you read through the Bible, you start in Genesis and you work all the way to the book of Revelation. One of the things that you see God is concerned about is the land. In the beginning, I thought it was so interesting that Brother Noel, I didn't know what he was reading today, but he talked about Abraham walking and every footstep that he walked, God said, I will give you that land. I will give you that land. This land in which Jesus came and met the demon-possessed man, that was land which had been promised by covenant to Abraham. So Jesus stepped foot on the land He wasn't stepping foot into a foreign land. He was stepping foot onto a territory which he had given to his chosen people. He addresses the occupying spirit, the legion, and he cleanses the land of unclean things, both demons and pigs. Think way back to the sacrifice of the pig on the temple altar. The Jews would have been repulsed by it, which is why when they saw it, it caused such a revolt among them. They were repulsed by what had happened. 
And Jesus comes into the land on the other side of the Sea of Galilee where the Gentiles had been polluting the land which God had given them by covenant promise by raising herds of swine on the promised land to a Jew who sees this, to the disciples who see this. This was disgusting. This was despicable. They couldn't stand it. And Jesus not just casts the demon out of the man, He cleanses the land of the pigs. Now, in chapter 5 and verse 16, it's something interesting that happens there. It says, those who had seen what had happened, described to them how it had happened to the demon-possessed man and all about the swine. And they began to implore Jesus to leave their region. They wanted Jesus to leave. So, so he casts out the demons. He cleanses the land. And now we find they say, we want you to get out of here. Why? Why? Jesus just healed a man. It was miraculous. It was powerful. It was mighty. Why are you wanting to kick him out now? He's disrupting the pagan practices that are happening on the land. He's disrupting what is going on. The man who was cleansed, he didn't want to do what the people wanted to do, which was get Jesus out of there. He actually wanted to go with Jesus. And this is odd to me too, because Jesus says to him, he gives him a command. He says, go home to your people and report to them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he's had mercy on you. When I've read this passage in times past, I felt bad for the guy. I want to follow you, Jesus. I want to go with you, Jesus. And Jesus says, no. And my first thought is, I guess because he was demonic and Jesus didn't really want him kind of following along and, uh, you know, kind of like the, the ugly stepchild sort of idea, you know, I don't really want you kind of around. But that's not the case at all. Jesus gives him, I don't mean to talk badly about stepchild. I'm sorry. <laughs> You're all beautiful. So, Go, Jesus says, go home to your people and report to them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And this guy, he goes to the city, he preaches, Jesus gets in the boat and he goes back to the other side to the region of the Jews. Again, kind of an odd ending to this story. Why would people not want Jesus to be there more and see his power displayed? Why does Jesus not want this guy to follow along with him? To so many other people, Jesus said, hey, come follow me. Come follow me. But to this guy, he says, go home. But what happened in this case is Jesus had come on the scene, cleansed the land, and he had left the preacher. Jesus has given us authority over the enemy. Luke 10 and 19, he says, behold, I've given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. Nothing shall hurt you. He's given us authority. Uh, A few years ago, uh, Nicole and I went through our personal uh, affairs and we created a, a, um, a will and power of attorney and uh, uh, the healthcare documents that go along with that. And one of the things that we decided to do was to give each other uh, full power of attorney 
uh, right now. Uh, so we are able to uh, sign for one another or otherwise, if uh, necessary, she has my full power of attorney. I have her full uh, power of uh, attorney. And one of the things that it says at the top of those documents, if I'm acting as her power of attorney, I can't act simply as I think is the initial statement. I have to act in her interest. It's important for me as her power of attorney to act in her interest, that I can't sign things that she wouldn't sign, or I can't do things that she wouldn't do. The first uh, point is for me to act in her interest. That's the type of authority God has given for you and I, to act in his interest. And what Jesus desires for you and I is to live free from the bondage and power of sin. And what he also desires for you and I is to press forward into our city and to see our city loosed from the power of darkness. I asked a question last week as we pray and as we think, what does God give to you for discernment? Some of you emailed me about that. I pray that more of you do as well. Because we have to focus our attention and the spiritual weapons in order to see this city loose and come to the power of uh, the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this seems like the story ends right here in chapter 5 and verse 20, but I want you to kind of turn the page over in your Bible and let's look at Mark chapter uh, 6 and beginning uh, at verse 53. So at the end of 5, they go back, or 520, they go back over to the other side and to the majority Israelite population. In uh, uh, 653, it says, when they had crossed over, they came to the land at Gennesaret and moored to the shore. So this is the same region. Uh, we'll find a little later, it actually uses the word, uh, the Decapolis uh, region. And when, verse 54, when they got out of the boat, immediately the people recognized him and ran about the whole country and began to carry here and there on their pallets those who were sick to the place they heard he was. Whenever he entered villages or cities or countryside, they were laying the sick in the marketplaces and imploring him that they might just touch the fringe of his cloak and as many as touched were being cured. And let's uh, skip over to seven, chapter 7 and verse 31. Again, when he came out of the region of Tyre and came to Sidon to the Sea of Galilee within the region of Decapolis, they brought to him one who was deaf and he spoke with difficulty and they implored him to lay his hands on him. And Jesus took him aside from the crowd by himself and put his fingers into his ears. And after spitting, he touched his tongue with the saliva and looking up to heaven with a deep sigh, he said to him, Epaphra, which is be open. And his ears were opened and the impediment of his tongue was removed and began to speak plainly. And he gave them orders not to tell anyone, but the more he ordered them, the more they widely continued to proclaim it. They were utterly astonished saying, he has done all things well. He makes even the deaf to hear and the mute to speak. So what happens at the end of 520 is we have a group of people who want Jesus to go, a, de a, a formerly demon-possessed man who wants to go with him. And Jesus says, I'm going to leave you as a preacher in this city where no one wants to hear what I have to say. Go back and preach and tell all the good things which God has done. The formerly demon-possessed man goes back into the area and he begins to preach from place to place to place. And what do we see in the matter of just a few verses but a revival, a change, a transition in what has happened. 
Where there was no receptivity to the gospel and to the message of Jesus before, now as the land has been freed from the oppression of demonic forces, as people have been set free and as the gospel has been preached, now people can't stop talking about Jesus, even when he tells them not to. When we see this happen and we read in Scripture what is going on, you and I must be focused and discern what is going on in our area, number one, in our lives, how the enemy is coming after us, not that we live in fear, not that we live cowering behind, but we need to know in order to employ the weapons of our warfare. We also must be prayerful about the place of geography that God has put us on. God has put us in this city, in this area, in central Virginia. And I'm not the only one who believes this, but I talk to brothers and sisters who are following after the Lord in other places. And there is a sense that revival is coming. And there are some things that do not happen except through prayer. As I said last week, I believe fully in the sovereignty of God. I believe in the power and grace of the Lord Jesus Christ to move according to his will. But I also believe that in some mysterious and powerful way, God moves by the prayers of his saints, that God moves when we intercede and we seek after him and we long after him. And things do change in the natural realm when we labor in the spiritual realm. This is why often our prayer as a congregation is, Lord, teach us to pray. Lord, teach us to pray. Teach us what it means to pray. And I believe what the Lord is seeking to teach us is that we have to focus our attention towards the things that God is focused on. Got a beautiful picture this morning of what is happening in our city. Imagine if in our city, young love began by getting married. The covenant of marriage, that lust did not boil over the desire for marriage. And that young baby, that babies were born to couples who were in the covenant of marriage who were supported by a local church, who were in fellowship with other people. Surely we live in a broken world. We know that sin has infiltrated the world. But when we see revival come and people get their priorities straight, there is great rejoicing over the things that God will do. So what I would like us to do and what I would ask and what I believe the Lord would have us to do is to seek him together this morning. We have a task ahead of us and not one of us can sit on the sidelines. And I'm not saying that anyone is. I'm just saying it as a reminder to us. Not one of us has the ability to sit on the sidelines. There are people who pass into eternity every single day. And many of them did not have a relationship with Jesus. And we have to get serious about our faith. I have to get serious about what I really believe and preach every Sunday. And if I really, really believe it, I'm going to do something about it because I'm going to care enough about other people. 
I'll end with this. Yesterday, I had the beautiful uh, opportunity. Uh, many of you were here at the Discipleship Institute, which went uh, really well, I'm told. I was down at East High uh, with a group of students from the University of Virginia uh, who are mainly international uh, students who were going through uh, a training that's there through, um, through a, a group called International Student Ministries. Uh, some of them are believers, many of them uh, are not believers, and part of that training was uh, three former uh, retired police officers who essentially go around the state of Virginia and talk about uh, how you help in emergencies, what you do in an emergency situation, how to help, how to, uh, how to um, be uh, you know, not to kind of cower in fear, but to kind of help, whether it's helping someone who's hurt, helping someone who's in, a, in, a, in an attack situation, kind of how to help. It was interesting what the police officers, the reason why they said that they, that they, uh, that they it was important to them to go around the state and uh, do this. And they said, I care for you. I may not know you personally, but I care for you. And their statement was, if someone comes in this room right now and seeks to begin doing damage in this room, my first thought is going to be to put myself between that person and you. Because I want to protect you because I love you because you are created in such a way that you have value. You have value. Come to find out at least two, and I think all three of these uh, individuals were believers and it affected why they did what they did. It has to affect what we do as well. And so let's pray today that God would give us wisdom. God would help us to see revival in our city by focusing our prayers towards what God is calling us to do, to see bondages broken, bondages broken in people's lives. Maybe you don't see it. I see it. Of a vantage point to see it, to see it. There are people who are bound by the enemy. It's real. It's real. And the prayers of God's people will break the bondage of the enemy. The prayers of God's people will loose the land from the spirits that seek to take the territory away from us. Let's pray. Stand with me, please. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your grace and mercy today. God, I pray that you would help us as we think about our city, Lord Jesus, as we think about our church, God. Lord, particularly in our culture, we are, have, such, have, have grown even from kindergarten with such a scientific mindset that if we can't see it, taste it, touch it, feel it, that it's not real, that it doesn't exist. I don't believe in that stuff. But God, I firmly believe that your word is true. God, I firmly believe and understand that there are princes and principalities in the air. There are strongholds of the enemy because your word tells us that, God. And Lord, I have seen strongholds broken in people where they may turn to help through medication or they turn to help through other things and they go to one thing after the other, after the other, after the other. And just like the demoniac who was chained up, who shackles were put on him and he broke them and he broke them and he broke them and it never did anything. It never helped him one way. There are people 
people who go from one thing to the other, to the other, to the other. They realize there's something inside that's not right. And nothing satisfies. Nothing satisfies. But God, I've seen someone in that situation. I've seen people come along in that situation where they have been broken and they have been in bondage, Lord God. But they had come to you. At one moment, there was a time when your Holy Spirit touched them and there was complete, powerful, mighty deliverance by the name of Jesus. When medication, when counseling, when mental health could not satisfy, the Word of God broke through and people were delivered by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm not discounting counseling. I'm not discounting help through medical means. I'm not discounting any of that just as there are demonic storms there and there are natural storms. There are times when those things help. But when someone has gone place to place to place to place and nothing can satisfy, nothing can bring a cure, nothing can bring help. We have to recognize that the enemy is at work to steal, kill, and destroy. The enemy does not want us to have joy in Christ. He doesn't want us to have peace in Christ. He wants us to be filled with anxiety. He wants us to lose hope. I say this to you this morning by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you are here today and you have opened a door in your life, the Lord may reveal it to you right now. The Lord may reveal it to you right now that there's been some point in your life where there has been a door open and the enemy has gotten a foothold. Maybe it wasn't even your conscious choice. But the enemy has gotten a foothold in your life. You know it because there's things that you've tried to overcome that you never overcome. You've asked God to help you and it doesn't happen. You've prayed time and time again. You've not got freedom. There's a stronghold. There's a reason it's called a stronghold. Even Jesus said, there's some things that take more effort than others. There's some things that only happen through prayer, through fasting, through the gathering of others around. But I want to assure you today that there is freedom in Christ. Many here in this room would testify to a time in their life where they were bound up but the grace of Jesus set them free. God wants to do it for you today. 
God wants to set this city free, this community free. God wants to set it free. All this bickering and fussing, people upset, angry. And that presentation yesterday, men who were not even from here referenced events that happened here that all other country law enforcement looks at to see what people's motives are. What if Charlottesville wasn't known for the events of 2017? What if Charlottesville was known as a seedbed of revival? What if Central Virginia was a place that wasn't known for bickering and fussing, but it was a place that was known for holiness unto the Lord? God, we pray by your grace this morning that you would help us as your people During this prayer time, the Lord revealed things to you in your mind. You see it in your mind. Things that you're not pleased with, things that you're not proud of. The Lord revealed it in your mind. Begin to make confession even right now. Make confession to him. Confess to the Lord. Confess to the Lord this morning. Just speak it out to him today. Don't bear it any longer. Confess to the Lord. Jesus wants you to have joy. Just as the demoniac went, as Jesus cleaned the land, the guy who had been set free then, as Jesus cleared the land of the demonic presence, the guy who had been set free rushed in and fills it with the gospel. Jesus wants to clean you of the demonic presence, of the oppression, of the addiction, of the powers of darkness that seek to destroy you. He wants to clean you of that so that the gospel can rush in, so that the gospel can fill you up, so that you can have joy and grace and peace in him today. As they lead us in song, you desire a place of prayer. Welcome to pray where you are. Pray here at the altar. You need someone to pray with you. Just step forward. Maybe it's a, it's a besetting sin, something that's been going on a long time. You say, I can't get over it. I've tried, I've tried, I've tried, but it's not happening. You need the grace of other people to kind of rally around you. Don't live any longer in that way. 
Get joy in the Lord today. Get joy in the Lord. He wants to bring you joy today. Continue to commit your heart to Him. Let's seek Him together here in these next few moments. Oh, Heavenly Father, we thank you today for your grace that is here and your mercy that is here. Lord, we thank you for your power, for your strength today. Lord God, we thank you for your word. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your presence and worship. And God, we just ask you to continue to minister to your people in the truth of the gospel. God, that it would go forth in might and in power. And Lord Jesus, from here in Hollymead to the inner city areas, Lord God, we pray that your name would be exalted, that your name would be praised. Lord Jesus, we pray for there to be wholeness and healing and grace and love in you, O oh Lord Jesus. We pray, God, that today those who are in bondage would be loosed in the name of Jesus. Those who are in addiction, those who are in sin, oh God, those who you died for, Lord Jesus, we pray that they would be loosed in the name of Jesus. God, we're hungry for more of you. We love you. We thank you. Again, Lord, we rejoice in your presence today. You are so good to us. Lord, I just pray your blessings upon each one that's here today. Go with us in the grace and peace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Meet us here tonight as we gather to pray and to seek you. As we pray for our city. We love you, Jesus. Thank you so much for your grace here. In your name we pray, amen and amen. Continue to lead us in, in worship.